the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat, a.k.a. the Cover 3 tailgate here on a Wednesday. We're going to be running down the transfer portal winners and losers. Now, 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 I understand that I am jinxing it. But thankfully, there is another portal window, and the portal just sort of never ends anyway. So by me saying that we are wrapping it up and declaring winners and losers, I understand that there will be more. But a lot to break down in terms of the overall classes, uh, who got their needs answered, and what teams, and I don't think there's a lot, but curious to hear what everybody has to say. I don't think there's a lot of teams that were just like total losers, but certainly a lot saw uh, plenty go the other way. We got a lot of movement in terms of the future of the college football playoff coming up in the next couple of weeks. A two-minute warning in college football. Uh, But before we jump into more fallout and reaction from Deshaun Foster taking over at UCLA, Danny... You've been missed, but you know what? You did a great job. You know, I, I, I felt like y'all crushed it. Obviously the, the, the set looks great. Everything was good. Um, thought, thoughts on, uh, the sort of your experience in Las Vegas at the Super Bowl. Uh, it is great to be home. Mm. Eight days in Las Vegas is five too many. <laughs> um, it was the weather was spotty at best. I mean, it rained like torrential downpours the first two days. Then it was extremely windy and cold. Super Bowl Sunday was probably the best weather, which was great. Um, ton of fun. It was awesome. Made it back. One at the tables, which is always a bonus. Um, but I would say this because I heard some people saying, you know, we should just make Las Vegas the home of the Super Bowl. No. No. Every four, every five years, I can't take it. I don't think a lot of people would survive, and I handled it better than most, because um, I was a pretty good kid. I was a pretty good boy. Like went to bed early for the most part. <laughs> Although I was at the party in the VIP section where Brittany Taylor Holmes, Swift, oh, where gosh. Brittany Mahomes gave the shaft, the stiff arm to Jackson Mahomes. <laughs> I was that the security guard with the thing over. He had let me, and I got Tommy Tran from CBS Sports HQ in. And Jackson Mahomes couldn't get in. 
So take that, Jackson, and your TikTok dances. <laughs> hey, listen, I they they saw you and Tommy, and they're like, Poof, we got to get these guys in. Just, we're, we're just we're just going up right now. Yeah. Um, oh, and I did see at that same section a Johnny football sighting. Ooh, yeah, Johnny Manziel was there at the uh, the same spot. So Look at that. I don't think he's toned it down much by the looks of things. He was having a pretty good time. Hey, hey, no, no judge. No, no, no judgment at all. Good, clean, fun. Yeah, but, but a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. Good, a good, a lot, good, clean, fun, but a whole lot of it. Um, yeah. It's good so, to be back. Good yeah, to be back. Great to have you back. Um, we're very excited. You know, as as you know, you know, the coaching carousel has continued to spin. I'll, I'll let you take uh, first dibs at this. Because it news broke during the show, yeah. On uh, on Monday, we had built out all this like, what's next for UCLA? We were going to talk about the reports. You know, PJ Flex doing the "I'm not going anywhere," and everyone's putting out their own reports. Um, now that we've got a little bit of time to digest it, your thoughts on Deshaun Foster taking over at UCLA? Uh, to me, it felt like a move where you found somebody who would say yes from inside the program. I mean. As all the talk that we've had, the speculation on Chip Kelly, like he was going to get fired. I also think he kind of wanted out at the same time. I think there were both sides there were in agreement. It is a really tough place to win. I thought it was interesting that the athletic director, Jarmon, what's his first name? Martin. Uh, Martin Jarmon had said, we wanted to find somebody who would fuse some energy and embrace NIL and the new atmosphere that we're in when I think that's a part of the problem. I think it has to start. With him now, maybe it has to do with Deshaun Foster going and helping raise those funds and getting infusing some energy into the people that are going to be cutting the checks for the program. But there are a lot of issues at UCLA. I think it's going to be a really challenging, you know, transformation into the Big Ten. I just, I think it's going to is young, Gurr players. You saw their reaction that they loved it. Um, you know, this guy who bleeds UCLA colors. It's going to be, I mean, I think it's from that standpoint, it's like, okay, but I think there were a lot of people that said thanks, but no thanks to this job. Yeah. Anything else? There were a lot. I just feel like everybody, like, because, like, PJ Fleck was one of the first names that came up as a candidate for the job. And that never made sense to me because Fleck's already making $6 million a year at Minnesota. And if UCLA is having financial issues, and I think the buyout at this point on Fleck's contract is $5 million. So they would have to give him a significant raise on the six to get him to leave Minnesota for UCLA and pay the five. So like, I don't know, shout out to agents always doing that work, always making sure their guys are mentioned as candidates for other jobs. But yeah, it's, I, I, I think Foster made plenty of sense from the financial standpoint. And then just, it's always this, at this time of year, when you're firing a coach in February or you're, you have a vacancy in February, like we've seen a lot of coaching movement now the signing day's over with all these guys that were just kind of hanging on until they, you know, signing day was in, the, the papers were in and they could go to their new gigs. Like to bring in a new coach now, it's really difficult because most guys have already taken new gigs. But you got anything else? I, I, I thought that I heard what I heard was what you might have assumed, which is that the locker room liked him. You know, that like this, this was very much inspired by uh, a group of players that was going to stand behind somebody who they had a, an established relationship with. And that when you get the bad hand of having to make a coaching hire in the middle of February, that one of the things, especially in the modern era that you're going to be interested in is just doing anything, anything that you can to be able to keep that locker room together. This, 
this certainly with his experience in the program, with his experience in the players, when I started to do a little bit of digging here, that's kind of what I got back is, you know, like, hey, at, at least you've got somebody that is um, going to be able to keep this group together as much as possible. But I also was not getting back feedback that was like, I tell you what, this guy, he's about to take UCLA to the next level. You know, like I, I'm not getting jet yeah. jack vibe, yeah. but it's certainly like a sustainability type move, I think. I think what I saw on Twitter was was a lot of people speaking with certainty that Deshaun Foster is going to fail. And maybe they know more about UCLA's internal workings than I do, but I, I think we should speak about this with great uncertainty because yeah. we don't know how he's going to recruit. Like we don't UCLA should recruit better than it does. Good recruiting teams are top-down recruiting teams. Danny will tell you this. Bobby Bowden was a relentless recruiter, right? Who's the best recruiter of our generation? Nick Saban, followed pretty closely by Urban and then probably Kirby, okay? Those guys are freaking maniacs about recruiting and about staying on your ass as an assistant coach to recruit. So Chip Kelly didn't want to recruit high school players. You can talk about NIL, which you got to recruit donors for that too. If Deshaun Foster is more personable than Chip Kelly, which I think he is, in terms of like dealing with high school players, there's nothing that says – UCLA all of a sudden can't do a better job of recruiting high school if they actually try. So I'm going to think about this job with great uncertainty because I don't know how it's going to go. I don't want to count the guy out. I agree with Danny. There's a lot more qualified coaches um, who probably turn this thing down because it doesn't seem like a great situation. But they have been in situations that seem like a bad situation. All of a sudden, you know what? Guy did a hell of a job. Um one of them was actually during COVID when they asked me to start the 24-7 podcast network up and really blow the thing up, and we couldn't hire anybody. Oh, and yeah. guy on customer service team who had a degree you know, in media and editing from from Tennessee, uh, Jordan Maiden, had DM me. He's like, man, I'd really like to help out if I could. So they let me hire him. So Jordan got laid off yesterday, which freaking sucks. But he's a talented guy worked hard for us. And Danny, you've been through the ESPN. I've been through an ESPNation you know, we've all kind of been through rounds. It, I guess it comes for us all. Came for Jordan yesterday. It sucks. But if you're out there, you know, you need need somebody to maybe do some freelance work while he looks for something else or maybe you got something full-time, let's help our guy out, man. Like, really talented editor, you know, a guy who knows what he's doing, can turn around stuff, pitch the detail, got better as he worked here, and just got more in a rhythm of doing stuff. But um, that sucks for us. I know we're all hurting for him, and, you know, we send him our love. So. Yeah, it was a tough – uh... Tough, tough day around the operation uh, yesterday. Jordan was a big part of helping us really elevate and level up a lot of his ideas and the way he was able to foster conversation in the Cover 3 tailgate. Yeah, he's uh, he said something on Twitter. I know Tom you know, retweeted it. Go give him a follow. And again, if you have opportunities and you want some of that Cover 3 special sauce, Jordan Maton was a big part of it. Uh, go find him. Go shoot him a DM. He, he'd be, uh, he would be a great addition to any team. Coming up on the other side, so, you know, we would a lot of talk about the overtime Pro vs. College on Monday's show. Is, is it, would a two-minute warning work for college football? Plus, the future of the college football playoff and our transfer portal winners and losers. Next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. Tom, you reached out this morning. Um, Story over at The Athletic, I guess overnight or posted early this morning. Introducing another... Uh, another way that we can rethink college football. I mean, certainly we made changes. We just changed the clock rules and all that. And guess what? Time things went on. There were some minor adjustments. Our betting markets changed. We saw some of the lowest totals known to man. I guess we think Iowa, Minnesota, and the clock rules for that all sharing equal, you know, representation. But what about a two-minute warning in college football? What What do you think would be like some of the impacts of the things that would make it interesting to discuss? Um. Well, first of all, we all know how much I love when we make the sport more like the NFL. So I'm 100% behind adding a two-minute warning. No, um, <laughs> it's I don't understand why we're having this discussion. And again, it hasn't passed. They're discussing it. It's just I, I, I learned about it today, and that's why I, I shared it in the docs. I was interested in seeing what you guys thought. But I, I don't understand why we need a two-minute warning because the two-minute warning was initially created like in the 40s in the NFL because there was no game clock in the stadium. There was no game clock on your television screen. The two-minute warning was for the referees to let the teams know, hey, you've got two minutes left until halftime or the end of the game. <laughs> we don't need that now. Like, And to me, this is just going to be I, – I honestly think this is really a move that with the changes last year, the broadcasters were kind of concerned about commercial time. And I'm thinking just adding a two-minute warning – gives a in built in another commercial break for every single game that ad, the, the networks can go to. And they'll also say it provides teams a chance to come back. But I, I think it makes a lot more sense in the NFL where damn near every game is a one score game in the final five minutes in college. Are we really going to need a two minute warning when Georgia's up 55 to 10 on whoever they're playing in week three? No, but are we going to have one? Yeah. I would rather give timeouts. Yes. Like, yeah, I, like instead of instituting a two-minute warning, I would rather give the option to call a timeout for teams that find themselves in the situation so that when we are in the Georgia scenario that you've laid out or something that, you know, sim to end for the old NCAA football gamers out there, like when you're just like, look, let's just get this over with, we're not going to also have to stop 
during that two minute period. The visiting team is not going to worry about missing their flight because you're going from Piscataway to Los Angeles. You know, like it, we, we can at least be able to not waste anyone's time with some of the contest. If, if you really need to create more the potential for more commercial breaks, or if you need to create the potential for more comebacks, I would rather give timeouts than institute a two minute warning. The only problem I have with that is that some of the hilarity in this sport comes from guys who don't manage the clock. And if you give them four timeouts, it, it does take away from their opportunity to blow provide them. us with great humor because it, yeah. it, it increases their margin for error. I, I want to remove some timeouts. Okay. I, I want to see guys like, can you imagine the leverage play? If you only have two, it, it just, it would be, although you'd have fewer comebacks. Um, and you know your quarterback's wasting both of them in early in the third and first quarter. <laughs> oh yeah! I, <laughs> Oops, I, I, I forgot ooh. to get everybody lined up. Time out. <laughs> I, did, I didn't. I didn't call the right protection. Let's let's go ahead and burn one of those right. Yeah, I mean Mario Cristobal with only two timeouts per half would be incredible. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Now I do think. What if you could save them from game to game? No, from half to half. Like, what if you did not get three per half? What if you got so like college basketball does? Yeah, you could stack them. Yeah. yeah, that but actually would be great. Like you would have some elite comebacks. You, it would increase the variance as far as how they're used in strategy, and you would have some coaches create some serious leverage situations. Like we should do that. I would like to have fewer than. I don't want it to be six. I would like to go five. with five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I um. Although so, Jimbo would blow all five of the first yeah. <laughs> on offense. <laughs> <laughs> I, so shout out to the real ones who played with no because I I didn't know that I mean I guess it totally makes sense now the two minute real uh, rule warning where it originated from uh, I didn't have play clocks in high school played at a small high school so the you know the rep, the official would be like uh, five seconds you know like pick it up you know and then like if it was loud like couldn't hear him you just could get a penalty delay a game had to be really over though they were pretty lenient with the rules but I do think the one thing that's unique in this one. And that where Mary, maybe it makes more sense even than in college football than the NFL is this is where it starts at the end of the half actually stopping with first down. So it kind of would alert you to, all right, this is the situation. Uh, I mean, you could see it on the clock. Um, maybe could you make it optional in the second half so you could pass on it, you know, for those late game situations? Or do you make it optional, you know, at the, at the half? I think that one probably just – they want it for an extra TV break. I mean, we all know what this is for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the second half, if you made it optional, like you gave the losing team the option, you could pass on it. I think that might make some sense. It's less embarrassing than like having a running clock in the fourth quarter, which I wouldn't be opposed to that either if it was a you know, five-touchdown lead or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But, that I think we kind of need, but I mean. Like decline the penalty, you decline the two-minute warning? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Or I, I see this spun for player safety somehow. Yeah. <laughs> that's the that's Catch how you get a rule through. Yeah. Oh, this is for player safety. Concussion check. Well, yeah. <laughs> make sure they're <laughs> two minute brain check. All right, everybody. <laughs> Let's take some cognitive tests. Uh, but Danny, good point there about like if we are in the new clock rules, the clock stops inside two minutes. We already are changing the way that things function inside two minutes. Probably don't need another TV break just to let everyone know what the deal is once we get to that under two-minute mark uh, along the way. The State Farm two-minute warning. <laughs> hey, that's <laughs> a good idea. All right? let's, just, let's just stop for everybody changing the overtime rules so that people can know what's happening, including the players on the field in the Super Bowl. Let's stop changing the rules every two or three years. 
Do we think the player behavior in the Super Bowl changed, though? Like, did they play it differently? If they truly didn't know, I think some of them might rush at the end. Like, I, there were a lot of people, I think, thought the clock was going to go to zero. You know, and it was just like, then what? Like, because it's not going to end at a tie, but I don't know what people expected. But late game possession, are they running around a little more frenetically? Like thinking, oh, I got like, that was the only thing I could think about. Did they play it differently? Why? Yeah. Why did they even have a game clock? (laughs) It was confusing. (laughs) It was very confusing. Yeah. My read on them hurrying was that they just had San Francisco reeling. Like I felt like in a lot of those late game possessions, when you could see like, Pat trying to hurry hurry him up. He's like, "Hey, we got these guys. Let's let's keep them on their heels right now. Let's keep doubling down on the gas because then we're going to be able to have them making the brain fart, like forgetting about the little shuttle motion in there and looking for it. That sort of thing." Yeah. All right. Speaking of the future, we are expecting in the next couple of weeks to get a little bit more clarity as it pertains to the future of the college football playoff. Also getting a little bit of bowl news along the way. Um, initially when the move, the vote has to be unanimous to make any changes to the existing structure and the structure that was approved unanimously was a six plus six model that involves six, the six highest ranked conference champions than the six at-large bids. There was a motion to get to five plus seven. There was one vote. Kirk Schultz from Washington State decided that he was going to vote against it. It turns out, thanks to some reporting from ESPN and others, that Yahoo Sports as well, Ross Dellinger doing a great job of laying all this stuff out, that there is some motivation here because you also need a unanimous vote to change the distribution model. And it turns out that Washington State, which of course is over there in the Pac-2 with Oregon State, they would like to still be paid out by the college football playoff as if they are a power conference program. That seems to be the negotiation at place. Danny, do you have an opinion on what whether 5 plus 7 or 6 plus 6 would be favorable or better? Oh, I think the 6 plus 6 makes no sense anymore. The 5 plus 7 feels like what you kind of have to do. And I wonder if eventually we don't get a 2 plus 10. <laughs> You know, like, I mean, just, I, I don't, and again, I don't, I don't think we're going to have a playoff that looks anything like this in two years. Like, you know, I think it's going to look completely different, but in the short term, I mean, it's going to be a power four setup, and then you're going to have one extra given to the group of five highest ranked conference champ. So I think this is all kind of what everybody was like expecting was the five plus seven. It makes the most sense. And it's the most agreeable for everyone to sit down and get the vote. Are they going to vote yes on it? That, that's what they have to do. And it's interesting. All except the one. Now, the Washington State could still hijack this. Mm-hmm. Correct. Now, I, I know Schultz gave quotes, I believe, to Yahoo that said that uh, their need to be paid, continuing to be paid as a Power Five conference, is completely unrelated to this vote. <laughs> Officially. <is> <laughs> yes. However, like my decision to go play, to go to the driving range instead of unloading the dishwasher is completely unrelated to other things I might want when I need my wife later on in the night. So, like, it's, they're not related, but they are related. Yeah, you know, yeah, they told us, they told one, us that one the act order, of service begets another. Yeah, yeah, the order of operations for Tuesday's meeting, and they're voting on this Tuesday, the 20th, the order of operations, like, first, Kirk Schultz is going to present a new idea for distribution, and second, we'll take a vote. <laughs> it's interesting how those two things are related. Um Tom, do you have a do you have an outlook here on uh, six plus six versus five plus seven? Uh, are we even sure the Big Ten and SEC will vote yes? 
Because if you lock in the, like Danny was kind of joking there, if you lock in the five and seven, doesn't that go until 2031? No, they are only voting on the next two years. This new deal with ESPN is contingent on them working out a bunch of issues. I think that what they are voting on right now is just for 24 and 25. So the new TV deal has absolutely no impact on any of this. I'm sure it has impact. I'm sure it is not insignificant, but my read on the situation is uh, is that we are only deciding specifically what's going to happen in 2024. Is there going to be an opportunity for a Boise State, a Tulane, a Liberty? Are there going to be opportunities for multiples of those teams to compete for college football playoff spots? Because that's what we'd be talking about. We'd be talking about the 11 and the 12 seed. We'd be talking about the difference if you are the six seed or the second highest ranked non-champion in a six plus six model, you might be playing Boise State. A five plus seven model, you might be playing Penn State or Ole Miss. And so to me, it heightens the importance of either winning your conference or being the highest ranked non-champion because the difference in playing that 12 seed, which is almost certainly going to come from the group of five representative to playing one of the at-large teams, which is probably a top 10 team, is a massive, massive difference. And that is enough of a motivating factor to at least make things interesting as we're getting closer to the playoff time. I think in the current landscape, five and seven makes more sense. I think that's where we're going to end up. But I also think not even what makes more sense. Again, I, I don't understand why we're agreeing to a TV deal before we know the format for sure, but it's done. But what I saw from the TV deal, and this part of the sport is far and away not my expertise, but it sure doesn't seem like nearly as much as I expected it to get. And from what I read, the thought is that the networks don't really want to pay for those first round games because they don't want Boise State versus, you know, Liberty. They don't, nobody's really dying to broadcast that game. So I'm thinking from that perspective, they're going to go to five and seven because they don't want the smaller schools in there they want as few in there as possible so that way they can get the bigger games and that way they get the more money because that's what this whole thing is about at the end of the day they're trying to get more money for these games have you seen any report that somebody other than espn actually bid on this no no now absence of evidence is not evidence in of itself but i would think that with how many leaks there were about this process that you would actually hear that somebody else bid so if espn looked around and realized it was just bidding against itself I Which think. I think they did. That because I, I talked to Ross this morning on the radio show. He was saying ESPN has the first right of refusal. Okay. So like everybody knew whatever we bid, like ESPN's probably going to match. So they kind of just were like, "What's the point?" Although, although, why wouldn't you, could you run it up, up on them so you get a <laughs> league right for cheaper? I mean, right. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what my thinking was, but that was kind of Ross's explanation. That's that us as poker players, not as like, right. <laughs> that is real money at the end of the day that you do <laughs> have to just lay back. a few people off. You can afford it, but um, yeah. Do you believe that, Bud? Do I believe what? So you they... sound like you're doubtful that that's actually what happened. No, I, I, I think I just... I think it's bad for the sport, and this is not any animosity towards ESPN. Hold on, Mike. I need you to clip that. Danny Cannell says the college football playoff is bad for the sport. (laughs) Please. Thank you. I think ESPN owning the college football playoff exclusively is bad for the sport. I think it would be healthier if there were more networks at the table. You know, if you did have Fox had a piece of it, I don't don't even like, yeah, I would love it if CBS had some of it, but even if it was just Fox and ESPN, I think like there's already people that don't trust the process. 
They're already skeptical of ESPN. And I, I'm not, again, I'm not saying this from a Florida state, you know, got screwed in all that conversation. I think this happens every year. And I think there are people that look at it skeptically saying, I don't know this ESPN's in it for the ratings. I guess if Fox was too, I, I just, I think it would be better and healthier if there were more networks at the table that were in the play airing the playoffs. And I think you get more money. I just so, worry that if ESPN controls it, it'll just be a one-man selection committee of who Kirk Herbstreet wants to watch and doesn't want to watch. I was I was going to say, man, <laughs> Danny, you, you've, got say dog, you've got the dog fans out there, too, that are ready to rally behind you. Like, it's, right? uh, it's, this is some, some powerful fan bases that believe in the, the ESPN uh, Nick Saban conspiracies pretty deep. <laughs> I, I was doing my research this morning on this, and Amazon paid $125 million for a wild card game. Mm-hmm. One so game. I guess if you math it out, Clearly, an NFL wild card game is going to be bigger than most college football playoff 20X. games. Twenty X, yeah. Well, easily. Wait, twenty X? I so Dennis Dodd. I mean, sorry, I don't mean Dennis Dodd. That was a ch- cheesy way to introduce that. So <laughs> Dennis Dodd was responding to somebody who was like, "I bet these first round games are fifteen mil each." And Dennis was like, "Actually, I've got an industry insider who said five. And the five is because you might be dealing with like you, you I, might be dealing. If it's with five, we need to come up with some money and buy one because <laughs> if it's five, you can make some serious cash off that. I'm saying no chance. Especially if we had a two minute warning, we can get even more. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah, that's- I mean, this will be a Thursday night game, right? You got to think that whatever because mm-hmm. it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday for the first round. And so whatever the one that's the 512 is probably going to end up leading it off and just be in a solo Thursday or solo Friday. Like, How many times do you think that 512 game will need the two-minute warning? <laughs> I mean, this, this comes out to roughly $100 million a game. What? to The playoff thing. Mm-hmm. The new cut, the new ESPN one, the, the new deal because there's 11 games. I'm just back to the napkin. But you have, I think there are definitely they're tiered right of what's valued more. Well, sure, yeah, but I'm saying like on average, it's just a little over 100 million for for 11 games. If an NFL wild card game is going for 125 million to Amazon, now maybe Amazon had to pay a little more than CBS would potentially. That's mm-hmm. the Cover Three podcast as we're now workshopping right now buying Correct. a uh, yeah. playoff game. Um, but it it feels a little light to me, but I, I'm not an expert in, in in the subject matter. I just when I had seen the initial estimates of two of two billion, I was like. That seems big, but this is like almost half that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, and that's again like another part of this story is that ESPN has entered into an agreement on a new only six year extension. They didn't do 12, only six, it gets us to 2030, 2030. Oh, okay. All right. When the next deals are up for everybody. All right. We'll see. Good, good, good times. Good, good times ahead. Um, also, I believe it was Brett McMurphy who had the initial report that um, Pac, former Pac-12 schools will be playing in bowl games with Pac-12 yes. ties. Yes. This year, for two years. For yeah, two no, years. Yeah. So we could have Big 12 foes squaring off in what would have been old Big 12 Pac-12 games, like the Alamo Bowl potentially could be having two Big 12 teams in it if it were Arizona and Kansas State, for example. So The Rose Bowl could be USC versus Ohio State. Well, Rose Bowl is going to be a playoff game. I'm just saying. It's like, yeah, yeah it's... Yeah. yeah, very, very, very interesting uh, along the lines. 
All right. Coming up on the other side, the transfer portal is always rocking and rolling, but it does seem like things have somewhat calmed down. So let's take stock of what these transfer portal classes are looking like. How was the winter window, the first of two windows? How did it go for different teams across college football? It's transfer portal winners and losers. Next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast and... While we've got, uh, you, you can jump into the portal again in the spring window. If you have not committed, you know, you're still available in the portal. Spring practice is set to begin pretty much across the country over the course of the next five to six weeks. So we do have a decent idea of what these transfer portal classes are looking like. So, um, you know, we've got some some classes that according to the rankings you know, are, are some of the best in the country. Interesting how the rankings, you know, are, are put together. Um, so for Ole Miss, I want to ask you, Bud, first, do you think this is quality or quantity? Did Lane Kiffin uh, address his needs or just get the highest rated players? What what goes into this Rebels class right now? So I, I think this Rebels class is is really pretty damn nice. Like the, uh, Ole Miss is pushing the chips to the center of the table here with, with, with their spend on this class. I, I mean, you're getting – man, you're getting a lot of guys who are, are like proven – good or maybe proven really good players. I mean, like getting Princely from Florida, mm-hmm. that guy can play, man. Like he, he he can rush the passer. He's a versatile dude. I know he's not the biggest guy, but that's sort of what we liked out of NIL. Like a guy who's not going to be a top draft pick, but like a really good college player who you can get for that, that extra year. Getting Walter Nolan is a really big deal as well. Like Walter Nolan, if he can stay healthy, has – true game wrecker type ability I, I mean getting daquan right from te- from from va tech I, I don't think that one hurts like getting antoine wells from usc it that's a wild card two years ago he was he was awesome and then you know kind of kind of got dinged but i mean dude like this is a legitimate legitimate class diego pounds from from unc by the way i mean chip you watched him a lot but there are not that many really good offensive linemen in the portal, and Pounds can play. Like, I don't know if he's a first-round pick, but like size, experience, we we generally kind of know. It's, all right, we've seen you play what a thousand career snaps more. You got the size. You know, like there are legitimate pass rushers in the ACC. It, it, it's it's a league because of where it is in the country produces those type of bodies that you have to block, and we've seen him do that. I'm very impressed with what Ole Miss has done. Do you think, uh, Danny, if you were Oregon, are you excited about being able to take two quarterbacks out of the same portal class? How confident are you feeling in the Ducks? Oregon has a top five portal class, but the headline of this has got to be the fact that you're taking uh, your experienced quarterback in Dylan Gabriel and then your high ceiling quarterback in Dante Moore. Yeah, I'm absolutely thrilled. You got your short-term and your long-term answer, and you also have somebody where – if Dylan Gabriel, 
because I think he's gonna I think he's gonna be very similar to Bo Nix, but you know, quick decision making, very accurate. You know, I think he'll challenge Bo Nix's, you know, 77, 78%. But you also have Dante Moore, who could push if it's a little too conservative. You know, and if I'm I'm saying in year one that Dante Moore could challenge him to even play. But if he doesn't, if Dylan Gabriel, you know, is is in the Heisman trophy running and tears it up, then you're still good and you got your future set up as well. I, mean, I, I was I was shocked at this move that Dante Moore followed him there because it came after Dylan Gabriel was already committed. But I also think it's Dante Moore maybe realizing where he was. Maybe it was a you know learning curve. Let me just tech, uh, catch my breath a little bit, and then I'll be set up for you know a really nice run. So I think it's a phenomenal haul for the Ducks. I put out a video on Cover Three Social, which another guy who got laid off, Andy Magadow, made for us. Um, so. That sucks too, but it was so. I, I put out a video about like who's the best quarterback in college football this year. Because last year we had some names that we really knew, like Caleb and Drake May were no doubt top half of the first round type guys. If they had anything in twenty three that approximated what they did in twenty two, this year I've got nobody who's guaranteed top half of the first round. So there's a lot of questions out there, and I didn't put Dylan Gabriel in it, and Oregon fans jumped me. Like I didn't put mm-hmm. I didn't put Dylan Gabriel in there because I know he's not the best quarterback in college football. Because physically, I've seen this guy throw like two thousand passes. Okay, I know he doesn't have that level of arm, and yet I still love the fit. Okay, he's playing a sixth year of college football because he doesn't have legitimate NFL talent, and he can make a million or probably a little more at Oregon in what might be the most money he'll ever make to play football. Right, that's a pretty cool use of NIL, but. They just had a guy who doesn't have an amazing arm in Bo Nix, and, and Gabriel's a little more limited than he is, I think. But they know how to utilize that in that offense. And adding Evan Stewart in there as a pass catcher, they they force-feed their studs at Oregon in a way they don't at Texas A&M. So I would expect him to have a big, big like catch volume thing, and, and I think Gabriel can get him the ball. Is there a chance Dante Moore wins the job? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if he wins the job because I do think Dylan Gabriel, the expectation is very much he's coming in there. He's going to be the starter because this is a team that's going into a new conference. And uh, as I've mentioned a billion times, of the new Pac-12 teams in the Big Ten, Oregon is the one that is best positioned to compete right away. Like Oregon could be the second best team in the Big Ten next year. Might be the best. You don't know. So unless Dante Moore has the most amazing spring and summer and fall camp, I really don't see him winning that starting job, but Gabriel has been hurt before. Gabriel has been banged up. You are one injury away from needing Dante Moore in there. So that's why another reason why I think both for the present and the future, Oregon landing, both of these guys was huge. Tom, what if, what were some of the, on the good side, what were some teams or programs that stood out to you in terms of either the, the, what they did it for answering needs or at least the star power that were brought in. I, I got to go with Ohio State. Like, Oh, yeah, <laughs> the juggernauts. I mean, this is what they – but I got a bone to pick here. All right. Yeah, with, with, with the way you guys do the transfer rankings. Okay. Oh, I, I, I don't want any credit for how, how, the, how the team <laughs> transfer rankings are calculated. I want Good. zero credit for that. Because I understand, like, the idea, especially when you're recruiting high school, the quantity and quality, because the more players you get, the better, the more, you know, the more swings you take, the better chance you have of hitting a home run. I have no idea how an Ohio State recruiting class that includes Caleb Downs, Quinshawn Judkins, Will Howard, and a bunch of other guys, 
and Julian Sain, or is it Sain or Science? Sain. Sain. Okay. How that class is ranked eighth behind like Louisville and, and Colorado, who just, you know, added 50,000 players. So it's like when it comes to transfers, when you have known quantities, I don't think the quantity of how many like three star guys you have should outweigh the fact that, oh, Ohio State has three no doubt top starters. You know what I mean? So. Yes. Like whoever's in charge of doing that, maybe we should reconsider the way well, we win. They are the only team that has t- multiple five-star transfer <laughs> prospects. They only have seven. seven commits. How the two hell? of them are five-star transfer prospects. Three of them are uh, are four-star transfer prospects. Um, no offense to any of those three stars in Louisville's class, but Louisville's transfer class is not better than Ohio State's. But again, going back to the actual question, I think you have to start with Ohio State because... This is a program that has, you know, identified what it needs to do. And it has pushed all of its chips into the middle of the table. And getting Caleb Downs is huge. Getting Judkins to kind of split the carries with Trevion Henderson and give yourself a bit of a change of pace. Because Trevion Henderson has had trouble staying healthy every single game of the season. And you're bringing Chip Kelly in. And I'm on the record. I don't know that Will Howard is a better quarterback than Kyle McCord. But in Chip Kelly's offense, Will Howard is a much better offense than Kyle McCord. So now that Chip Kelly's come in, that looks I'm a whole lot more optimistic about what this team is going to look like compared to the direction they were clearly already trying to go on offense. And I just think that when you look at I mean Seth McLaughlin, obviously we know about his, you know, snap issues from from the playoff and at Alabama and the problems he had all year, but and- if they move him to guard, I think that's huge and even if he plays center, just fixes it. Yeah, yeah there's, just fix it. There's some chance that him getting away from Milrow fixes it. I'll mm-hmm. leave it at that. I, I think a new quarterback experience for him could make a world of difference. He needs better alignment. Yes. Yes. Like standing directly behind the center could help. Helps. Yes. Um, instead of also a like yard to the left. Consistently giving the ready signal before you clap or being willing to use a silent count on the road consistently. Um, yeah. Nick Sheridan, I, figure it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm with Tom on the Ohio State because when you said the classes, who's, you know, top classes, my first thought was Ohio State with what they've done. And I, yes. I didn't look up any re- – I didn't look at any of the rankings. I just said first team that came to mind was Ohio State. Now, Ole Miss I do think was a close second because of the moves they've made as well, and it feels like they're going all in. And I completely agree 100% that Chip Kelly is an, is an upgrade for what they want to do on offense. He is going to be dangerous with those weapons that he's got. Will Howard can run, too. He can make some plays with his legs, much more so than Kyle McCord would have. Mm-hmm. So I think they're seeing upgrades at a lot of positions. I think they're going to be – they'll be at the top of my list for the Big Ten. So, first of all, there's I mean, there's only seven guys in the class. So there's really nobody else for me to hit. Downs is just such an unbelievable addition for Ohio State. I, to the portal rankings, I completely agree. I do my own, and I do it from the perspective of would a team competing for the college ball playoff, like an average college ball playoff competitor? So, like, Louisville's probably not, okay? Colorado's definitely not. South Carolina is not. Like, the, those te- those are teams in the top ten. Like, would a team – would Oregon, would a Florida State, would Ohio State, would a Texas, would a Georgia, like, would they take this player? And I do my own personal ones because – if you look at it, and this is just a really tough math problem to solve because you're trying to compare things that are just really disparate. You have seven commits here, and you have 26 in Louisville's class. Where do we draw the cutoff line? 
do we say, hey, only your top 10 commits matter? Your top 12, your top eight? So, and if we say top 12, is Ohio State getting essentially five zeros in their class? Because I agree. If, if, if Colorado or Louisville's kids, who I'm just using them because they're both top five, top six, would, would Georgia, would Florida State take any of those players they took this year? Probably not. Maybe one, maybe two. Florida State and Georgia are different quality rosters. So let's just use, let's use Ohio State and Georgia. Would they would tell those guys to kick rocks? Okay, so it's really a, a volume versus quality question, and we see ranking disparities like this in the recruiting ranking side in like the month of June because some classes mm-hmm. will fill up and have twenty guys, and some will still have like six. And the algorithm gets a little wonky at that time of the year. Now, as everybody kind of fills out to a more similar number, we're much more able to judge classes of 25 versus 19. Seven versus 26, it's like, (laughs) I don't know what to do with this. So, yeah, I, I um, I would essentially just rank the transfer portal top down only on four and five stars. I don't give a damn about three-star transfers in terms of impact. Next, it's just roster filler. Like Caleb Downs compared to some three-star offensive tackle or offensive guard. It's just right. Caleb Downs should be worth about 15 times more in that rating than anybody <laughs> like a three-star. Yeah, can we go above 100? I get it, like <laughs> when when we are talking about one of the like most talented transfers in transfer portal era, can he be like a 110? I, I think that would make it more accurate. I like the per player rating. I'll stick up for using ye old 24-7 sports rankings because that can be very informative where, uh, as you know, you might guess based on our discussions here, Ohio State at 94 on the per player rating is the top per player rating in the country. Uh, that is, you know, a tick above certainly those teams around it, Colorado and Louisville. Um, let me let me throw one out here, another bang for your buck uh, squad. I thought that the specificity of Texas's transfer portal class was really smart because you go get Isaiah Bond um, from Alabama, wide receiver. You get Silas Bolden, proven wide receiver from Oregon State. You get um, multiple other pass catchers, and that's after we had just watched all of the pass catchers leave. So Steve Sarkeesian's looking at this team that went to the college football playoff. He's got them loaded up along the lines of scrimmage. He's been recruiting well, recruiting with the SEC in mind. What are we missing? We're missing pass catchers. So we're just going to take all of the transfer portal resources that we want to have, and we're going to go and we're going to get pass catchers in the portal. Matthew Golden, another one of those as well. Um, I just, I felt like Texas was a good example to your point, bud, of these are guys that, anyone in the country probably would have taken on their roster because of the value that they add. I thought that Texas was a big winner in the transfer portal. Didn't they did lose like dozen guys or so, but not guys that I was counting on to be primary contributors for the most part. Totally. Yeah. I, I, I think Texas is a major winner. Like they're, they're loading up. Um, Texas win total on fan duels, like nine and a half, ten, ten and a half, ten and a half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's a little rich for my blood, but I understand it. Um, that means you're going to Michigan to win, isn't that game yeah. in Ann Arbor? Yeah, is that second highest in the SEC? I, Has to be well, right. I think Behind it's Georgia the same as Georgia. I think Georgia's was the same. I want to say they just probably ju- juiced it over and juiced it under. Oklahoma's yeah. a seven and a half. Yeah, I also really yeah. like the Trey Moore pickup. 
Because I, oh, yeah, I don't think I don't think Trey Moore is going to have the kind of numbers at Texas going against SEC offensive tackles that he had going against CUSA and AAC guys. But I still think talent wise and you know ability wise, he's a very good depth piece as far as a pass rusher on that team, which you can never have enough of. Um, Makuba too from Clemson, great defensive mm-hmm. back. He's a part of that group. It was a yeah very strong class. Uh, before we get to some of the <clears throat> groups that have lost, we have referenced. Uh, we have referenced this transfer portal class. So, I mean, bud, I got to ask. Do you believe? What What are the highlights from the Colorado Buffs as for the second offseason in a row? They have gone heavy with the transfer portal in terms of players they have taken in. It is not the 50-some that they took last year, but we are dealing with a transfer portal class that is in excess of 20 currently at 24 seven sports right now with 24 commits in the class. Seven of those uh, as four star transfer commits in terms of the number four stars in a class that is fourth in the country behind Florida state, Texas A&M and Ole Miss. What are the, what are the places where you look at the buffs class and uh, you, you see somebody who's going to be very important in their first year in the big 12. So if you look at it, they did get some guys who I think some other teams wanted or showed interest in Preston Hodge at Liberty was a really nice DB for Liberty. I had heard that Oregon had some interest and then that Oregon ended up passing. Uh, maybe wasn't quite as big as, as listed, but that's still a guy I think is going to immediately help Colorado. Like they, uh, why am I blanking on Shador's brother's name? Shiloh. Shiloh's a really good hitter. Uh, but they didn't have great coverage ability in the back end last year. Like they, you could tell they they really had to keep those guys back to protect them. I think Hodge is a guy who can cover a little better uh, than some of the dudes they've had. Quincy Wiggins is sort of a wild card that I I would like to pull. Uh, he's built like a total freak, very athletic guy. I don't know why it didn't work out for him at LSU. I should probably ask around about that. But if he hits, Quincy Wiggins is the most talented player on that defense other than Travis, obviously. So that that's a nice one. They took multiple offensive linemen who at least have played some power five to varying levels of success. Uh, and yet FanDuel's like, yeah, we're, we're not impressed by this class. It's a bunch of filler again. And your win total is five and a half. So they're like not even thinking that Dion will make a bowl game. I think they can though, because I think if they keep Shador healthy for 12 games, they're going to make a bowl. So, it's a decent class. If I was ranking the class, I don't think I would have a top 15 because, again, most of your good Power 5 schools would tell these guys, thanks, but no thanks. But some of them are decent. Did you guys discuss Shador Sanders on Radio Row when he made the comments about Sean Lewis? Yes. Or no. We didn't discuss it, but I have thoughts on it. I just want to know if you're I'll, – I'll share my thoughts. I want to see if they're the same as yours. I don't know if coming out and saying I I don't want to have to read a defense before the snap is the best thing for your NFL draft scout report. <laughs> like I didn't like the offense because I had to figure it out. I don't know. Well, well it was more sorry. complicated. It was a little more complex because he I, talked it, about the choice routes, the option yeah. routes, where mm-hmm. there's a lot of reading going on. But I thought I thought he was clearly he threw Sean Lewis under the bus. Like he's like I didn't like the system. So see you later which is kind of crazy because I thought the system, the offense was what won them games. I mean, I thought that's what we talked about after TCU was like, what a great offensive game plan it was. But I thought he was also kind of saying, 
none of us were on the same page. And I was waiting for the receivers because I didn't know. I understood what he was trying to say. I thought it came out horribly. Like, I thought it sounded awful like he was throwing everybody under the bus. But, like, when you are, if you and if you are playing with receivers that don't know, that you don't trust, or you're not on the same page with, all right, if it's zone, I'm going to hook up. If it's man, I'm going to keep running. And you can't anticipate that the receiver is going to be right. You end up holding on the ball forever. Like, I got to make sure. I got to make sure he's running, he's running, he's running. Okay, now he's still running. As opposed to you get to a trust level in a system where, hey, he's going to hook up right there. You can throw it really early and anticipate. I thought that's the type of things he was saying, which are complex, but it didn't look like it was that much of a glaring issue. I think that's what was funny to me is I mean him the, holding on to the ball too long was an issue. Yes, mm-hmm. that was an issue. And that's what he blamed on. I was waiting to see what the receivers were gonna do. And that can be a problem. I don't really have any additional thoughts on it. Um his play will will dictate where he gets picked. Diplomatic how, bud. I need I need how to get like a beret for that United I, Nations address. I think he's got ability. Uh, I will comment though. Two things. One, are you running the program for the for the good of the program, or are you running the program for the good of your son? Two, uh, which I think it's pretty clear it's the latter, given that they're not doing anything in high school at all, and it's just like, is he going to be there in 25? I really doubt it. Uh, but two, it's quite foreseeable that the offense would not be perfectly on the same page when you take everybody as transfers, and some of them arrived over summer. They didn't get to work in the spring and they didn't even get to work all summer on some of this stuff. So uh, I think it's to Sean Lewis's credit that he had them ready to go because they scored like almost 50 on TCU in the opening game. And Dion and Shador apparently liked the offense quite a bit. Then when Dion said Shador better be number one on the Heisman ballot this week after week one. So uh, whatever, man, we'll see. Yeah. Um, what was Did you see the spring game changes they're making? To for at Colorado. So what was what was the question on Radio Row? Tell us about this year. Did he jump straight there? I didn't see the the comments or the context. Uh, they were asking about the change at offensive coordinator. He explained okay. why the change was made. He got into you know why he didn't like the system and it wasn't a good fit. And he felt Pat Shermer was going to help develop him for the NFL better. Got it. I liked your description. Seems, yeah. seems right. Probably sounded awful. I didn't get a chance to hear it myself. It wasn't all. It was. I thought it was them being too honest. Like there's some things I don't think you need to reveal. Like, and like Tom was saying, if you're struggling reading defenses, which I think he was kind of throwing everybody under the bus, like our receivers were struggling reading. I was too. Thought it was a bad look. I thought it made it look like he made the call uh, that Sean Lewis needed to go. I thought he insinuated, like, I mean, if you're complaining about it and it gets done, I just thought all around it probably could have been handled better. Yeah. But what were you about to say about changes to the spring game? Somebody, I'm trying to find. Oh, it. like it's a it's a total like weekend of extravaganza. There's a fashion show. There's like he's blowing it out. But are you talking about the game specifically? What the, what they're going to do with the game format? It was. A I know Dion said they're going to have, and it was the game. On, like I think they put it on Fox. It's oh, prime. Yeah. It's prime weekend. Yeah. He, he told uh, <clears throat> he told us a little Wayne. I guess on on, on Little Wayne's podcast. Uh, that Colorado spring game is going to be a different and it is turning into prime weekend with fashion shows, after parties, and a halftime show. Cool. All right. All right. That fits very well with running your program as a TV show. Um, the sound for the halftime show for theirs is better than the one at the Super Bowl. 
Was the sound bad in the building? I thought it was bad on TV, especially early. Well, I thought it was bad because for the first time they weren't lip syncing. So like you could actually get the little mess ups and when his mic wasn't on his mouth and when Alicia Keys stumbles through and misses a note, like you could hear that type of stuff. Well, he caught that. I mean, I I, look, 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 uh, Usher caught her. So yeah. Um, Speaking of that though, did you guys see, uh, I don't know if we should get in this on the air. Yeah, definitely not. I, all I, the I, clips of Alicia Keys missing that note have been erased from the internet. And they oh yeah, changed. I saw that scrubbed. No, nope, mm-hmm. didn't happen. I don't know what you're talking about. Definitely didn't Just happen. Saying. All right, but if if we were to get like one or two schools that came out of the ingoing, outgoing uh, transfer portal window, uh, just like, man, it kind of seems like we came up on the short end of this. Wh- where would you point our attention? I mean, for me, it's just scroll down the list of the top transfers and look what logo comes up a lot and then look who they brought in and you're like, oh, yeah, it's not, that's not great. So I'm going to go Purdue. That's a mm-hmm. that's a fairly big one to me because you lose two really nice, really nice players. Like Nick Nick Scouten was was the best defensive end in the transfer portal, and he goes to Texas A and M. And then um, the receiver who killed Wisconsin. Like I know Wisconsin won the game, but like um, what's his name? He went to Oklahoma. Oh, Deion Burks. Deion Burks. You can watch Purdue and be like, oh, Deion Burks is noticeably more athletic than anybody else carrying the football or catching the football for Purdue. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm a little down on the Purdue experience right now. We'll see, like they may improve the floor enough with their transfer portal, but those are high level guys they lost. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a tough go of it for, uh, for Ryan Walters there in the, uh, the transfer portal. So, uh, Zach Eady about to run out of eligibility, but Hey, could it be an edge rusher? We'll see. Get your hands up there. Bat down passes. Um, Zach Eady cannot be an edge rusher. Let's just get that out of the way. Yeah, Knock him off! No offense, Purdue basketball fans. Let let Caden let Caden Proctor get out there and knock him off his feet and see what happens. <laughs> um, all right. So Thursday, as always, we like to get a little bit interactive. We like to take your questions live here on the Cover Three podcast at YouTube.com/slash Cover Three. We also take questions from the big old bag of mail, where if you leave us a five star review and in that review you put your mailbag question, we'll tackle it in a future mailbag episode. So that's coming up Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Come and hang out for that. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Canell. You can follow him at Tom Pernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Love you, Jordan. Yeah.